Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 216. This week is a continuation of last week's episode, episode 215, where we had our question and answer or ask us anything with Molly and myself. And it's actually funny to go back and listen to it and see that our answers are not exactly the same. So um, we've decided to continue this for another episode here and answer your questions. These are questions that were posed on Molly's Facebook page. We got lots and lots of questions, hundreds of questions, and picked out the ones that we felt that were the most relevant here. So this is episode 216, part two of Ask Us Anything. And before we get into the episode, and one of the questions I get asked a lot, and I was asked this quite a bit last week, where Molly and I actually spoke together at Digital Marketer Down Under in the Gold Coast in Australia, which was a great uh, show, a great event that our good friend Sonia Keenan put on. Thanks for her hospitality and for all the great Aussies down there who showed us a great time for a couple of days. If you are in Australia and uh, this is an annual event, it's usually done about this time every single year, definitely uh, mark your calendar for next year around this time to get to Digital Marketer Down Under. It was a great show, uh, some of the top talent in Australia, as well as they got a couple of Americans like myself to uh, make the trip over there. Had a lot of fun and learned a lot in the process. So definitely put that on your calendars for uh, for next year, or at least you know watch your inbox, your email inbox for Digital Marketer Down Under in 2020. But one of the questions that we got asked, or I got asked a lot, is how we actually do our hiring. And or one of the questions that I got asked is, how do I work for Tier 11? Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned that. We are now hiring again. So this is, I think, our third or fourth wave just this year of hiring media buyers and ads managers at Tier 11. So I encourage you, if you are interested in working with us 
as an ads manager. An ads manager is sort of an introductory position where you help our full-blown media buyers. And some of our ads managers stay in that role for quite some time. Uh, maybe not quite as advanced Facebook ad skills as maybe a media buyer. Media buyers we hire that have a little bit more experience and have obviously been listening to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast, kind of know what we do at Tier 11, how Molly and I work and how we sort of see things as far as how to run Facebook ads. So we are hiring four positions, two ads managers and two media buyers. So if you are interested and you feel that you're qualified, definitely head on over to tier11.com forward slash jobs. That's tier11.com forward slash jobs and apply for the ads manager role. Certainly tell us a lot about what you do, what your experience is. And based upon that, we'll sort of put you in the, push you in the right direction as far as potentially working with us in the future. So we've got uh, four openings. Would love to see your resume and you, the perpetual traffic listener, if you're looking for an opportunity to work with us here at Tier 11 to apply for the job. So go to tier11.com forward slash jobs. So without further ado, let's get right into the content on episode 216, part two, Ask Us Anything on Facebook ads. Okay, so the next question is from Cormac Gray. And his question is this, I would love to hear your thoughts on expanding further than conversion and catalog sales campaign objectives when advertising for e-commerce stores. Yep, we know a little bit about that. Uh, it's crucial to be building brand awareness and driving traffic to the store first at the top of funnel so that your pixel data is consistently being updated, then follow through with more acquisition funnels, question mark, he asks. Thanks so much. So are we using more than just conversion and catalog sales campaign objectives? Yes, we are. But I would still say for our level one traffic campaigns, and when I mean level one, Go back to episode 145, where we go through this in great detail as to what level one is. It's basically, it's cold traffic with exclusions for people who are purchasers. Sometimes we exclude website visitors for a certain period of time as well. But the point is, is that these are people who don't know who you are, have never visited your site, never bought from you, have no idea what your stuff is all about. So episode 145, how to amplify your e-com business using Facebook ads. Definitely go back and check that out. We use catalog sales and conversion objectives on pretty much every single level of traffic. And the reason why we do that is that we found that even though they're different objectives, we tend to not have a tremendous amount of overlap of those audiences. Why? We're not exactly sure. It might be because Facebook is seeking out catalog salespeople for the catalog sales objective campaigns and Facebook is seeking out the converters, the people who buy on the first click kind of people, the people who have purchased in the past through Facebook with the website conversion campaigns. And they don't have a tremendous amount of overlap from what we've seen. So let's just preface this answer with the fact that we use primarily those two campaign objectives. Now, when you reach a level of scale where you're spending five figures a day in ad spend, do you actually start running out of potential audiences to scale to if you're just using two objectives? Well, catalog sales are tremendous for e-commerce. We use it all the way through from level one all the way through to level five. Conversion objective, we use all the way from level one all the way through to level five. We also use at level five, which is basically purchasers or you know people who have previously bought from you. We do use reach 
in many occasions, and we're testing a lot of other objectives, but the majority of the spend that we still do use is conversions and catalog sales. So a lot of folks say, well, you know, you should use brand awareness first, or you should use traffic objective first and then retarget. That's fine. And we have tested a tremendous amount of spend on that with the idea that, yeah, as long as we can just get them to the site and click to the site and be aware of our brand, then we can retarget them after the fact. Well, we found as a direct response, you know, high volume ad agency, we found that those people aren't really converters. So what we found is that using the two objectives that we mentioned here, catalog sales and website conversions, we're attracting the type of person who actually might buy as opposed to somebody who's just sort of a tire kicker is just sort of out for a Sunday stroll, so to speak, and has no intention of ever buying your stuff. So your objective directly relates to the type of person that you're going to attract to your ads. So for catalog salespeople, these are people that have either, if you're using dynamic ads with broad audience targeting, these are people that have potentially visited your competitor and have shown an interest in whatever it is that you're interested in. Let's say, you know, you sell footballs and you're a small athletic equipment or apparel company as a local business. Well, you can then, in essence, through catalog sales or through dynamic ads with broad audiences, you can potentially target people who have visited like the Dick's Sporting Goods site or Walmart Sporting Goods section and get those people to potentially purchase your stuff or interested in your stuff in your local market. So catalog sales, especially dynamic ads with broad audience targeting are tremendously effective and we've seen ways to scale. We've seen that using the two different objectives in tandem is a great way to scale. So the question then comes back to, should you use brand awareness? Should you use these other objectives? We found that better ways to scale is actually by scaling out sort of horizontally, by finding other audiences, and by also working on our creatives. So just because you have a good ad that works well right now to a website conversion and maybe a catalog sales objective audience, instead of looking at different objectives as a way to scale, Try different hooks and different approaches to attract different people in those groups. So instead of changing your objective, think differently on this. So conversions, website conversion campaigns find people who are likely to convert. Catalog sales people are people who are likely to convert because they have or have the propensity or the proclivity to purchase something within a product catalog or have visited your competitor's website and are now sort of predetermined to potentially buy your product based upon targeting and based upon the algorithm and the intelligence, the supreme intelligence that's available inside the ads manager. Instead of saying, all right, for me to scale, I need to go to a different objective. Sort of the wrong way to look at it. What I would really focus on is your creative and your hook. So let's say you have an audience of, and I'm going to look inside an ad campaign here right now for a relatively new customer they sell products inside the health and wellness niche. And our targeting on this one is, wow, we've actually got women 30 to 65. So we've got some broad targeting here, wide open. 
on this campaign, we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. We have five different ads. Each ad has a different potential hook for the individual product. So this is a chocolate-based product, which actually helps lose weight, believe it or not. It actually is possible. But each one of these ads has a different twist, a different sort of hook, a different way of approaching the same market. Because just because some people who you know want to eat something sweet to lose weight, that hook might not resonate with everyone in this audience. So some people might more resonate with how to lose weight, eating something that tastes good and be guilt-free. Different type of hook, different type of approach with those two ads. And let's look at the third ad here, which is slightly different. All of these are actually doing extremely well. This is a way to actually eat chocolate without guilt and still lose weight. So each one of the ads has a slightly different sort of approach to that cold traffic audience. And this is a relatively new customer for us. And we found like these types of hooks are the ones that work best. So instead of thinking about, all right, how do I expand? How do I scale by going after different campaign objectives? Think about how you can approach the same audiences with just a slightly different message. Everyone's going to resonate with different messages. Everyone in that, in this case, nearly 4 million person audience, everyone in that 4 million person audience isn't going to resonate with the same message. So instead of trying to find a different objective, try to find different messaging, different hooks, different ad copy, images, creative, video, that resonates with different subsets within that 4 million person audience. So that would be my recommendation for Cormac. And think differently about your Facebook ads. That's why we at Tier 11 have actually leveled up and invested heavily in our creative team because our creative team, we've realized in the last year, they are the absolute key to scale for our customers. They're absolutely your creative, your ad copy, your how you approach cold traffic is everything on Facebook right now. And if you're trying to force feed the same audience with the same message and the same ad the last three to six to nine to 12 months, you are not going to succeed on Facebook. So the audience needs different ways in which to resonate with your product or service. So I would have you focus on your front end ad and less so on your campaign objective, different ways of looking at sort of the same thing. And that's certainly what we're doing here at Tier 11. Cormac is also a Train My Traffic Person alum. So excited that you submitted this question. He said, I would love to hear your thoughts on expanding further than conversion and catalog sales campaign objectives when advertising for e-com stores. Is it crucial to be building brand awareness and driving traffic to the store first at the top of the funnel so that your pixel data is constantly being updated, then follow through with more acquisition funnels? So it is not essential that you are always running brand awareness and traffic campaigns to build that top of the funnel. I mean, even for Boom, Ezra Firestone's cosmetic brand, you know, we send about 90% of our cold traffic to a pre-sale article, but we're actually optimizing for purchases when we do that. The other 5 to 10% are mostly spent on catalog sales objective to top of funnel and some video views. So you don't have to constantly be running just 
you know, traffic at the top of the funnel that's just budgeted that, you know, you don't really know how it's performing. Um, but you do want to be aware of the fact that you could scale a lot further in your ad account if you were testing other objectives other than just the conversion or catalog sales objectives. And that's because of the way Facebook's auction works. So Facebook takes into account the objective that you've chosen when deciding who to show your ads to. And the reason for that is they don't want to show all conversion ads to, you know, one person day after day after day. They want to show them ads from advertisers who might be bidding on other objectives too. So a lot of this depends on the inventory within an objective. And sometimes you'll find that certain objectives, depending on who you're targeting, provide really cheap results. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that your competitors just simply aren't using those objectives. So even though conversion and catalog sales are the main ones that we use at the top of funnel, it is always worth trying other objectives like traffic or page post engagement or video views, etc. So great question, Cormac. Thank you. So the next question that we have here is from Mitch Barrington. This one we've seen a lot actually is what's your take on Instagram's like removal test? Do you think it will roll out globally and become a permanent feature or lack thereof? What effect will it have on influencer marketing? So like removal test. Yeah. So this is uh, this is something that Instagram has been testing and don't know if it's going to be a full-blown feature on Instagram as of yet. My guess is probably not, but the focus is more on less vanity metrics and more on the content itself. So that's sort of the goal here. And I think there's been some really strong advocates have focused on the content as opposed to the social proof and see what your friends are liking. Have people like and enjoy content on their own as opposed to just using other people as a proxy to figure out what they like. So a little bit more of like a thinking man's social media as opposed to, hey, I'll just do what everyone else does. And hey, if my friends like this, chances are that I'll probably like it as well. So I can sort of understand what they're doing here. I don't know as if this will be something that uh, will be rolled out widespread. And, you know, I actually don't mind this feature just because first off, it, and even though social proof, I think is important on your ads, especially on paid advertising, we've actually tested no social proof versus social proof, really tested it and didn't find a tremendous amount of difference between the two types of ads. So we advocate using post IDs, which preserve or actually aggregate social proof, likes, shares, comments versus ads that are they have no social proof on them. And we didn't really see a whole lot of difference for our conversion objective, whether it's return on ad spend, whether it's a CPA that's in line with our customer's objective. So the point is, is that social proof, yes, it's important. Molly probably has a very differing view on this, but we've tested this objectively and we didn't see a whole lot. So does the removal of likes really affect us as a paid advertising agency, as a paid advertiser and you know somebody who's spending you know, millions per week in Facebook and Instagram, I don't see it having a tremendous amount of effect. But the buzz is that, you know, people will certainly, there will be some pushback on this if Facebook and Instagram or Instagram specifically does actually remove the likes off posts. So the jury's still out on this one, but my sense is that Instagram probably won't take this away. 
But, you know, one of the things that is coming to bear now is that a lot of social media platforms, Instagram, especially because of the likes and because of shares, perhaps this might lessen the pressure on people to use it as a measure of perceived popularity, you know, maybe even making them less self-conscious about what it is that they share. That's sort of the method behind this, making social media in general potentially a little less detrimental to your sense of well-being. If you don't get quite as many likes as your friend, you're going to sort of feel inadequate, that kind of thing. So uh, it's an interesting test to say the least. I don't really care how many likes or shares I get on any of my posts, so it doesn't really affect me. But I know for a lot of people, this is really an important thing. And their self-esteem and their self-worth is directly tied to how many likes and shares they get. So which seems sort of backwards to me, even though I'm a social media ad agency CEO. But the point is that uh, I'm glad that these platforms are, are testing this just to sort of see what the backlash is and what the potential detrimental and or you know advantageous effects could be on the platform. So hard to say at this point. My sense is that no, they don't do it. But hey, you know, it's Zuckerberg's platform. He can make any rules he wants and eliminate anything he wants at any time from the platform itself. So, I mean, I definitely think it will affect. And what Mitch is talking about is the fact that Instagram is testing actually not having the number of likes that a post has displayed under the post. And they're saying that this is because social reasons and really looking out for human nature and how we're comparing ourselves and using the platform. And I do agree with this. I do think it will affect influencer marketing in terms of, you know, that won't be a statistic they will be able to report on if Facebook does decide to go through with removing the like count on post. Uh, they're going to have to find other metrics to use, but it's not going to do away with influencer marketing. And I'm sure we will find another metric to use, like impressions possibly, to still state proof that a certain influencer is reaching a certain number of people. So I honestly haven't given it a lot of thought. I don't think it matters a lot to the advertising world. I think if it's fine that Facebook and Instagram is doing this. I think it'll be interesting to see what the test shows. And if they roll it out across the board, we'll just have to see. I don't quite know. But great question, Mitch. Thank you so much. So the next question is from Tam. His question was this. So I was thinking about the amount of ads. What is the ideal number of ads per ad set when starting trying CBO? I have 18 between collection ads, single images, DPAs, etc. Yeah, 18 probably is too many, but I think it's actually good to start with 18. Just don't set 18 live. So as I look inside the tier 11 ad accounts, the average that I see and the ones that we talk about on an ongoing basis, unless you're really using your CBO campaigns to test new creatives or refresh new creatives, which is how we typically will do things. We will test other creatives or other ads. And then once the ads that are inside our ad sets uh, for our CBO campaigns start to kind of tire a little bit, we'll introduce a new ad that will then take the place of the other ad that might be tired or might have sort of taken its course if the campaign has been running for a significant period of time. But the point is this, is that, yeah, we do have some campaigns that have multiple ad sets, 
you know, maybe even more than 10 ad sets. And in some cases, more than 10 ads per ad set. But I would say that's the exception. So in most campaigns, we are typically running in each ad set, we're running anywhere between three to 10 ads. Now, in each one of those ad sets, we might have about five or six ads that are live at any point in time. So keep this in mind too, is that we're high volume. So we tend to be spending thousands per day. If you're spending hundreds a day, this number might actually vary for you, but the average is about three to six that are live at any given point in time or that are getting any sort of conversion, any sort of play from Facebook. So like I said in the last question, the more important question is not necessarily the type of ad, which is important, but it's the messaging and the hook, your ad copy, your image creative that is approaching traffic in a different way. So what we tend to do is we have one campaign, anywhere between three to six ad sets. In each one of those ad sets, we might have three to six ads. We might have 18 ads in there, but maybe six are live at any given point in time. Maybe nine are live. And Facebook will typically will push traffic towards one of those ads, so or two or three, depending on what the budget is. So rule of thumb is three to six on ads. Rule of thumb is three to six on ad sets. And if you really think about this, especially on campaign budget optimization, if you're not using campaign budget optimization and you have all your budgets on your ad set level, Facebook usually only shows about three to six ads in each ad set. So, you know, they won't give equal impressions to all six ads. It just never happens that way, you know, unless you have enormous budgets. The point is, is that with CBO, if you sort of take that philosophy and move it back a step, if you have CBO, so you have your campaign budget optimization set on maybe $1,000 a day, if you put in 20 ad sets, only about three to six ad sets are going to get any impressions. So likewise, your ads with that type of budget will only have about three to six ads that get any sort of impressions. With Facebook, gearing more of the budget towards one or two or maybe three of those ads. So that's the benchmark that we use. We definitely do use, and I think we can actually do this better inside the agency, is different ad types. Maybe having collection ads, having single image ads, having, obviously we use DPAs in the catalog sales objective, which was Sam's question here, but we use those inside catalog sales for website conversions. We do absolutely use them inside catalog sales for sure, but also different types of ad types like collection ads, video ads, short video, long video, obviously, you know, Instagram with 15 second videos for both stories as well as for newsfeed and less than 120 seconds for newsfeed for Instagram. So all types of ad types. But we found that not only is the ad type important, but it's really it's the messaging and the differentiation of the message at the ad level that really helps scale to answer the question back from Cormac, but also to really continue to gain longevity for your campaigns as you scale up and uh, continually refresh those ads at the ad level. So if you turn a couple off on the ad level because they're just not reaching your goal, refresh them, put in a new ad. Maybe the two ads that were working for quite some time, maybe for a month or so, and all of a sudden they just start not performing. Well, 
maybe take those same ads. Maybe it's a video or maybe it's an image. Slightly alter the image, slightly alter the ad copy in it. Introduce it back into the ad set. Maybe take the video, shorten it by three seconds. Maybe put some different B-roll in the video. Do something that's similar that worked before, but Facebook will take that as fresh and will then start serving it to your audience. And you might actually see a lot of those just sort of recycled creatives, recycled ads start to perform really, really well after the initial one stopped performing. And then one of the things that you really got to think about is like maybe three to six months down the road, that ad that you paused and that didn't work after a considerable run, maybe turn it back on. So we have found that ads that worked six months ago and worked really well, and then the CPA started to rise, the ROAS, the return on ad spend started to decrease. If we turn it back on six to nine to 12 months later, it starts to perform again. Those audiences haven't seen it in a while, just needed a little bit of a break. So a couple of things to keep in mind when you're looking at your campaigns, constantly refresh your creatives, constantly refresh your ads. Yeah, three to six ad set level, three to six on the ad level is a number that we're pretty comfortable here at tier 11. Great question. So when you are using CBO, this is really important. I already said this earlier. I recommend three to five ad sets. And within those ad sets, I recommend about two to five ads in each of those ad sets. And the reason for that is that when using CBO, you just simply don't need to give Facebook as many ads to work with and or test as if you would if you were in testing mode. Now, that said, as I mentioned earlier when we were talking about CBO on last week's episode... I am adding new ads to each ad set about once a week when I'm using CBO. So over time, you could end up having 10, 20, 30, a lot of ads in that ad set, depending on how long the campaign runs. But when I'm using CBO, I recommend three to five ad sets and two to five or three to five ads in each ad set. And I always like to make sure that I'm testing at least one video and at least one still image since those are the two creative types that are most different and you're most likely to reach more people by introducing both of them into, you know, each ad set. So, you know, maybe two copy variations and an image and a video testing all of those against one another would be or using those different variations would be great inside of a CBO campaign. Great question. And thank you for asking. So the next question comes from Simon Gould. His question is this, what's working in top funnel targeting right now? Audiences of a million plus are hard to find in Oz. Oz, I assume is Australia. Yeah, we've got that issue. Unless they're really broadly defined or you have a big geo targeting area. So the question is sort of twofold here. So what's working top of funnel targeting right now? And then also specifically in countries that are, I assume in this case, Simon, you only sell to Australia. And we've had a number of customers who actually just, they can only sell in Australia for whatever reason, be it shipping is cost prohibitive or the product itself can't be exported from Australia. Actually, I had a customer for years and years that was with Tier 11. That, that was the case. So it could only stay within the continent of Australia. And I said continent because it's a country and a continent, which is actually kind of cool. Anyway, the point is, is that, yeah, that you do reach some limitations with Australia. And 
Man, that's a tough one. Going outside of Australia using audience expansion is something that Facebook is now asking us to do and to test a whole lot more, which is that little checkbox that you check underneath your interest targeting. But inside Australia, like there's only so many people in Australia. So how do you do it? In the case of Australia, we have copy that calls out the avatar really specifically. So it only targets the sort of circles the wagon on maybe a broad audience targeting for the entire country for the demographic that you're targeting. So for example, we've got a number of customers that target either male or female primarily. In Australia, you might want to go your age demographic, 25 to 45, male only, broad audience targeting, but really have your ads going back to some of the original questions here that call out your avatar and talk about their specific pain points or their desires. So that's how you sort of call out or dog whistle out your specific audience using broad targeting. You are going to get some traffic with people that are non-qualified, just aren't qualified for your product or service based upon the ad copy. But as the algorithm gains more and more traction, more and more intelligence, that targeting should start to narrow down and you will start to circle the wagons around your ideal avatar based upon your conversions, based upon the data that's being fed back to the algorithm, based upon who's interacting with your ads. So definitely an issue inside Australia because it is a limited market. So if you can figure out a way to expand your service offering outside of Australia, if you sort of maxed out your product offering there, I would definitely recommend that. But going back to some of the original questions is change your messaging on your front end ads. That's me slapping my hand together. This is an important point for you guys to remember is that you change your messaging on your front end ads, you can continue to go to that same audience and approach them in a different way. Be very creative with this. You know, Think about your avatar, understand exactly what it is that they're looking to achieve, what keeps them up at night. Back to our original kind of question, I think that was from Rick Petrie. Going back to that, the point is, is that your front end ads make up like a very, very large portion of the success that you have with your campaigns. So focus on that instead of your targeting. Think about ways, do like an ad grid, like Molly has done in previous episodes. And I'm gonna refer you all the way back to episode 33. You believe the ad grid was back in episode 33? It's like 200 episodes ago. But Super important to understand, yes, who are your avatars? How do you talk to them? What are all the potential hooks? So inside tier 11, when we onboard a brand new customer, we will do the initial onboarding, and then we'll have a brainstorming session with our creative team. And we now have an awesome copy chief who tends to have a lot of tremendous ideas through research of individual products. And he might create maybe 40 or 50 different potential hooks for a product or service. And then we as a team boil them down into individual ads, individual ad copy, creative that goes along with the ad copy, visuals that go along with the ad copy, video that might be edited down with the ad copy. By visuals, I mean, might be a GIF, might be sort of a short animation video, might be a slideshow kind of video. The point is, is that you start with a tremendous amount of ideas, boil it down to individual ads and approach the same market that you're targeting with a slightly different message, slightly different bent, slightly different way in which to engage with your brand. So ultimately they purchase or become a lifelong customer of yours. Everyone's different. Even those big, large audiences like Australia, you know, if you can't go outside of that island, 
then you got to figure out ways to harness more people that are within your targeting. And the best way to do that is by altering your approach with your hook and how you approach that cold traffic with your front end ads. Okay, Simon asked, what's working in top of funnel targeting right now? Audiences of 1 million are hard to find in Oz unless they're really broadly defined or you have a big geo-targeting area. So I'm hearing this a lot from students that students with businesses that only serve, you know, a small geographical area, whether it's Australia or a city, are really struggling because they can't really get their audience sizes big enough to play nicely with Facebook. Because nowadays, I'm recommending one to five million plus per ad sets in terms of number of humans, potential reach, if you can find that many people, depending on your geographical area. Those of you you guys that are restricted are having trouble finding audience sizes that large. So my recommendations are to use much broader interests than you would otherwise. So for example, and this goes against a lot of what I teach, but if you're targeting people that love yoga, you might want to target the broad interest of yoga versus a specific company that makes yoga mats. So you might have to get a bit broader with your targeting, honestly, is my best suggestion. Also, of course, after you have a bit of pixel data, I would suggest trying an ad set that is completely open targeting. So just optimizing for purchases and not including any specific interest, etc. So I think those of you guys that are restricted to a geo area, we've just got to broaden out a bit to try to get those numbers up to play nicely with Facebook. So great question, Simon. Thank you for submitting that. So last question here. Oh, this is from Yed again. We now know Yed's last name. So Yed asks this question. This is probably more for Molly because nobody really ever asked me this question, but what kind of supplement stacks are you on to be so productive and on top of things, always in motion, doing something new? Is it nootropics, stack, regular supplements, meditation? Yed, I'm sure Molly will answer this one very differently than I do. But for me, it's actually a combination of a couple of things. So energy-wise, what keeps me really focused is and this has been a huge focus in 2019 and will be in 2020, is actually getting enough sleep, believe it or not. So building tier 11, I think I lived on five hours of sleep for about 10 years. So I realized that that's not really a healthy way to actually live a great lifestyle. So my goal in the last three years is to consistently increase my sleep time by at least an hour per year. So my kids laughed out loud when one year I said, hey, what's dad, what's your New Year's resolution? I'm going to sleep seven hours a night. They all bust out laughing. One of them was drinking milk and like came out of his nose kind of thing. So the point is, is that it was a big joke. But you know what? In that year, I actually did average seven hours of sleep. And that was 2017. So since then, I've now actually up the ante to eight hours per night. I don't get it every single night. I can't say that that's actually the case, but I do know that when I get eight hours of sleep, I actually function a hell of a lot better. I'm a lot more energetic during the day. I don't have that afternoon crash. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, is the last three to four years, I've actually done meditation every morning. One of the best apps that I've found that actually sort of plans your day and puts you in the right mindset to have a super productive day, but also enhance your happiness 
through the power of gratitude is this app that I've used for the last four years is the Omvana app. So definitely check it out. They just actually had an update. It's actually kind of a cool update. Omvana through Mind Valley. Mind Valley, great customer of ours here at Tier 11. Awesome dudes over there, really some life-changing products. And the Omvana app, definitely download it. We've also used the Headspace app and also the Calm app works really, really well. Headspace, I'm not as crazy about. I really do use Omvana almost daily. And that tends to really set my day up really effectively. The best one that I found is the six phase meditation by Vishen Lakiani, who uh, was really sort of freaked out when I actually met him a year or so ago. And I was like, I listen to you every morning. And he sort of, he kind of gave me that like, you know, hairy eyeball look, like who is this guy? Anyway, so we ended up sort of having a, a chuckle about it after, you know, we are the agency that runs his ad. So at least they could do is like hang out with me. So we did. But the point was, is that that app and that particular meditation I found is really, really effective, really lays out your entire day, helps you plan your day. Also your three-year life goals, lets go of, you know, any sort of issues or tension that's going on in your life, as well as goes back to one of the most important things is having a lot of gratitude. And happiness has been defined as being content and happy with what you have today, as opposed to what you want tomorrow. And I'm a big believer in that. So yes, we have goals. Molly, I'm sure has goals as well, as far as what she wants to do in her life. I certainly do. But being content and happy with what I have today, and also being very gracious and very thankful for what I have today has actually made me hugely productive. So last one I would say, and this is kind of a weird one, and my wife actually pointed this out to me, is that we actually have a lot of bird feeders in our yard. And she noticed, oddly enough, the days that I actually come down after a nice seven, eight hours of sleep, have my coffee, go out into the front deck and actually watch the birds, watch the hummingbirds and the birds on the feeder and just sort of like being around nature. We have this beautiful garden in one side of our house. And actually enjoying the first 15 to 20 minutes, like once you sort of get up and you're having your morning coffee and it really sort of just takes you down a notch. And watching birds for me, I know we're probably going to get some funny comments on this, has actually really helped my mental state. And it's sort of a weird thing she noticed. And I've tried to make that a part of my morning routine every single day alongside the meditation and the sleep. Yeah. So that's sort of a funny one, but it definitely is. Like the more you spend time in nature, I think it does take you down a notch, gives your brain sort of a rest. And for me, it sort of energizes me for the day. The last one, and I know Molly does this as well, is exercise. Absolutely crucial to me. My sons and I actually have an Instagram channel called Father Son's Workout, where, you know, my huge, hulking, massive, ripped sons will show off their exercise routines. One of them just walked in here right now. And we do that. So we exercise, I would say, anywhere between four to five times per week. Do a lot of cardiovascular as well. Sort of on the off days, take a day or two off per week. But definitely check that out at Father Son's Workout on Instagram and see what we're up to there. We tend to go heavy on the weightlifting, heavy weights, a lot of compound movements. And we found that works on strength as well as endurance and puts us in a really good mental state, especially lower stress and makes us far more productive. I especially do that sometimes in the morning 
makes for a really productive and great day. Got a lot done on days that uh, we work out in the morning. So combination of all those things is the way to sort of keep healthy and keep productive. Hopefully that answers your question, Yed. Hopefully you take a few of those things, download a couple of those apps, start instilling that into your day to make you as productive as possible. All right. Last but not least, another question from my student and friend, Yed. And this is more of a lifestyle question. I love this. He said, what kind of supplements stacks are you on to be so productive and on top of things, always in motion, doing something new? Is it nootropics, regular supplements, meditation, etc.? So great question. I do take Brendan Bruchard's high performance supplements. So check that out. If you give it a Google, you'll find it. But I take that twice a day. I love that supplement. Something else I do health wise, most days when I'm working, I actually fast anywhere until 3 p.m. to sometimes 7 or 8 p.m. at night. My body is used to the intermittent fasting now, and I've been doing it a few years. And that allows my brain to stay really clear throughout the day so that my body is not distracted digesting food. So I will do that three or four days out of the week. Absolutely. Meditation. I try to meditate for at least 10 minutes a day and or read books or watch YouTube videos that cover self-help material. Gabby Bernstein is one of my clients and one of my favorite teachers. I also watch a lot of Brendan Bruchard's content. I should make a whole list of the, the teachers that I go to. Brene Brown, Marie Forleo. So I I do try to spend at least 10 minutes meditating and then another few minutes, maybe 20 to 30 minutes, sometimes an hour reading a book or watching videos that either pump me up or help me work through an issue or just you know, better my spirituality, help me become more in touch with myself. That's so important. I think that we can get so distracted with everything we have to do as entrepreneurs and just humans in the world today. And if we aren't taking care of ourselves, we just aren't going to be able to show up in the way that we want to. And that is what gives me energy is actually when I do put myself first and make sure I'm taking care of myself so that I can also serve others. And I want to end that with the fact that I absolutely love this stuff. I love marketing. I love business, but mostly I love helping you all. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, my students, anyone I've ever met or spoken in front of at an event, it absolutely invigorates me. And I know that this is a reason I was put on this planet. So knowing this and the fulfillment and just knowing that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, that fuels my energy. So there are a ton of different types of biohacks and things that you can do in terms of your body and you must take care of your body. Your body is so essential to your health. It is the vehicle. If it fails you, you're going to be in a tough spot. But that purpose absolutely must be there because that's what's going to keep you going when nothing else is. And that's my big why. So we will end on that question. Thank you so much, Yad. Thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week. Awesome, Molly. Another good episode here. Solid answers. A little bit different answers between Molly and myself goes to show you that there's not one way to run Facebook ad traffic, that's for sure. But if you've been listening here for uh, a few episodes, you know sort of the way that we do it. 
good to put your spin on it as well. And we always advocate doing a lot of testing, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and uh, make your own way and, and, and you know, use our advice as a guideline, but also invent and, and innovate and test new and different things maybe that you haven't heard here on the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. So like I said on the introduction uh, today's show, if you are interested in working with Tier 11, I highly encourage you to apply at tier11.com forward slash jobs for the ads manager or media buyer positions that we have right now, four openings in total. We are expanding, we are growing. Facebook continues to be what we believe the most powerful, most influential advertising platform on the planet. And we'd love to have you be a part of our team. So go to tier11.com forward slash jobs and apply. This has been episode 216 of the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. For all the resources that we mentioned here in the show, go to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast episode 216. Until next week, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.